Welcome to X the Echo Chamber, Episode 3. My name is William Rhoda, and I'll be your host. Today on the show, we're talking to Jason Ali, who's better known in certain circles as the ambient artist Yo-Yu. You might have heard him playing out at Yoga Public, Fourth, or Manitoba's I Am Festival. We spend most of the hour talking about Jason's journey through music, starting with some of his earliest memories, traveling through his experiences in the 90s rave scene, and finally arriving at the ambient music he creates today. It's a great story. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, make sure you stick around after the credits on this one. Okay, uh, we can begin, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Kick it off. So just start at the front. Like, how'd you get into music in the first place? Sure thing. Um, so music probably started before I could think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, so I came from a fairly musical family. Um, my, my dad was playing in a band with a number of his friends. Um, that were, they were all immigrants from the West Indies and uh, played played music locally here okay and um our our home was the practice space for uh for the band so i was around music from a pretty young age i have really good memories of just hanging out in the basement and banging things like cowbells and yeah yeah feeling the bass you know that kind of thing and yeah, yeah so the seed was planted very early very young yeah okay yeah so there was never any kind of decision point where you know thought like hey maybe i should try doing some music it was just kind of this thing that was always there yeah yeah Yeah. and then um my parents like like a lot of people would um got me into some some education Mm -hmm. and uh worked through some drum lessons and then some piano lessons but kind of reluctantly in the sense that like i never really got applied myself into the theoretical side of things and fortunately had some teachers that you know, recognized that, but decided to work with it and help me learn a more improvisational style of playing. So, you know, you could say I kind of, I learned a, a kind of a solid base of theory, kind of sight reading um, reasonably well. And, you know. Um, is this still grade school or how old are you? Uh, this is probably like about the age of like 10, 12 yeah, kind so of still age. Quite young, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and that, that went on for a little while, but it kind of drifted away from even that form of instruction by the time I got to high school and got into, uh, had a really awesome band teacher Okay. who took it another level. Like he was yeah. really good at jazz. What did and, you play in band? Um, I played percussion and piano. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mostly piano towards the end of my high school years. Um, so jazz improv and he was really cool. I mean, he, he he taught us a lot of tricks and tips on how to, you know, do improv. He'd yeah. put us on the spot and make us write scores and that sort of thing. And right. really pushed us out of our, out of our elements. And maybe one of the most important things is, uh, he, he liked synthesizers okay. and he had some yeah. <laughs> and he was gracious enough to lend them to me. Okay. So there were a few weekends through the year where, you know, I got the opportunity to, to take a synthesizer home. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, I knew that was the sound I was looking for, for sure. Like you'd hear music, I would listen to music from, you know, Stevie Wonder or from Herbie Hancock or, you know, Nick Kershaw was another favorite of mine at the time. And okay. uh, 
these guys all use synthesizers really well. And that noise just grabbed you right away. Yeah, the, yeah. it's the it was the thickness and the and the yeah. and the and the density of the sound that I really liked, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and the width, like the stereo width of the sound too. Yeah. Yeah, so it was really cool that I got to play with some of these instruments that would have been completely inaccessible to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there's kind of like there's a bunch of different things that happened in that time too, but that's kind of, you know, started really young. Yeah. Yeah, but it went from a theoretical practice to a very improvisational practice, I'd say, like, by the time I was a good 12, 13 years old. Cool. And then pretty much anything I did in my spare time revolved around making some kind of sound Yeah. from that point forward. So, yeah, yeah. it was it was a passion pretty young then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. You know, there's... um having having a, a household where music is is so integral meant that we had you know good high fidelity equipment in the home yeah. so i appreciated good sound yeah um my dad had a reel-to-reel tape recorder which once i figured out how it worked i was able to start using for recording yeah you know um you know i had we had a drum kit in the house a piano and you know, an organ and then when it got time that um i could afford to uh yeah, make a little bit of money myself. I started renting equipment, okay. Uh, so I'd you know have some stuff at home to play with as well, and then that's when like the the dive into electronic instruments really took place. Okay. Yeah. And at this, are we we're past high school by this point now? Yeah, kind of in the middle of high school at that point. Okay. There was a store called uh, it was Major and Minor where where I was taking music lessons earlier on, and they did had they had a rental program so you could rent keyboards some of the new roland keyboards yeah, were available for rent yeah. yeah they had some of the cutting edge samplers were available and then yeah so i just got into it that way and then um uh it's interesting too like even computers at that time were kind of an outlet for sound too so i had a commodore 64 which is kind of another storyline because another the other yeah. side of me is programming and um well don't be afraid to get into yeah. that yeah we got time. so so we got you know we had that my parents got this amazing little computer at the time which which is pretty neat i mean commodore 64 was a pretty kick-ass computer yeah <laughs> right and um one of the things it has in it is um that i don't know if you're familiar but with that chip tune sound yeah kind of the four op sound yeah. right so it has like i think it's three square wa- square wave oscillators and then like one noise oscillator and it's completely programmable so i started making drum machines yeah on this thing on the commodore 64 because i I couldn't access yeah. or afford a real drum machine like those were. So you had to improvise. So I made one yeah. <laughs> on the Commodore 64, and it, it was pretty awesome actually. So it taught me, it taught me kind of the basics of how an electronic instrument would work. You know? Yeah. So can you break that down for me a little bit? And you say you made your own, like you would have to create the noises and then. Yeah, the nice thing about a computer like a Commodore 64 is it has a sound chip on it, so okay. it's, it, you can think of it as a little synthesizer. Yep. But it's programmable. Okay. So, you know, the part that a person, like what I I did is just program a sequencer that would trigger sounds, right? So you could basically program like a little drum beat in in an array and and then create little envelopes that would kind of shape the sound, you know, like basically on, on a chip set like that, there were not a lot of capabilities. You could basically just like make a tone and change the volume of the tone <laughs> that was yeah. about it but yeah you could do that and you can change the pitch of course so with those three variables like you know on off <laughs> yeah. volume and pitch you can do a little bit sure but you know you can start to shape a sound a bit and it sounded like a, a funky little like i don't know think of like the early video games like superman yeah that it sounded like that kind of yeah yeah, yeah exactly Very but cool. totally programmable so you could put yeah. your own beats in it 
which was kind of fun. So that was kind of that was kind of another angle. And um, towards I don't know when it was like maybe towards the end of high school, um, my dad got me hooked up with a friend of his who was going to take an electronic music course here in Winnipeg. Okay. Which was pretty awesome. Like this was a, and I, so I went, this was an adult ed course and I yep. went to the course with him. He was awesome to take me with him. He picked me up and we'd go sure. together and I don't know, I made, maybe it lasted a, a term or something like that. Yep. And that particular course laid the foundation for a lot of what I needed to know. Yep. So they, um, they taught like the basics of FM synthesis, the basics of sampling, you know, uh, MIDI uh, protocols, all, all the, like the kind of technical side yeah. of electronic music in this course, which was a lot of the fundamentals, kind of a fluke that I was able to access that, I think, cause I don't, don't know that that course was offered too many times. So I was like, that was almost like a, one of those lightning moments where, yeah. Where was it offered from? I, I think it was, I don't know, actually, I think yeah. physically, I think it was actually in uh, a space somewhere on Ness Avenue. But it was a continuing ed course. Right. And the room was outfitted with some great gear. There was a Synclavier in there, a bunch of DX7s. Um, we we did workshops on these little TX sequencers with these little FM modules that can be paired with them. So I learned a fair bit. At, and it was really challenging because I didn't have the physics background yet. So I guess it must have been about 14 or 15 then, if that's the case. I didn't have the physics background and the electronics background to really understand everything they were teaching. So it was kind yeah. of like just kind of on the periphery of getting it. But it was enough that that it that it gave me like a solid foundation to work yeah. from. So then by the time I touched a real synthesizer, like an actual, like I got to work with something for an extended period of time, it, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, and I was able to get into it pretty quickly. And then from that point on, I think <laughs> we're talking about like towards the end of high school, uh, I think that I probably started playing with sound for about, it's probably like 15, 20 hours, 30 hours a week from okay. that point on for a good chunk of my life. Yeah. And that's been constant. It has been. There was a break for a while where I took a, took a break away from her about two, three years and I, just for a bunch of reasons and, uh, and then kind of came back to it again. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So at one point you start deciding to record and distribute some of your music. Hmm. Probably almost right away. Like, so what was happening in high school is I would record stuff on this reel-to-reel tape recorder and do repeated overdubs with vocals and effects and stuff. And um, I was kind of emulating the sound I liked back then, which is some Depeche Mode, some Erasure-type tracks, some New Order, that kind of thing. And I would just release stuff on cassettes to friends. You know, I'd just make cassettes, duplicate a few copies, and then just give them away. It wasn't a commercial distribution. But I'd kind of been in the habit of sharing my music that way pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, around maybe 1997, this is quite a bit later now. So like the the timeline I was just giving you was kind of like a 1988 kind of time frame. Yeah. Around 1997 mp3s are becoming a thing yeah exactly well and cds too were easy to to duplicate so right i decided to start just self-releasing cds of music and um i think the first cd i released is one called ambrosia and it was basically a recording i'd I'd done around when i started playing at raves in in the 90s and um it was kind of a collection of songs i'd been working on and 
there was this awesome clothing store. So I'm just sharing this to kind of explain what the yeah, distribution model looked like totally. for me at the time, right? So there was a clothing store in Portage Place called Frenzy, which was kind of an alternative culture clothing store, um, very much in tune with uh, the underground electronic music scene in the city at the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could almost say more, more than just electronic, but just the underground scene in the city. And uh, they sell, allowed me to sell CDs on consignment. Okay. So I'd, you know, I'd duplicate like 20 copies at home. I'd print my own art on a color printer, mm-hmm. you know, exacto knife, cut it, yeah. cake, put it in a jewel case and bring that to the store and That's sell great. it. And what was really cool is it that particular album was like crazy successful in that model. Really? Yeah. We sold, you know, between, between us, we sold, um, I think about 130 or 140 copies through that, that store. Really? Which is, I mean, yeah, no, definitely. It's kind of interesting, right? It's for a small community. And, um, so it really kind of told me that there was, there was kind of an interest in this music for sure. And when you say between us, were there some other artists working on the record with you? Well, more so that the store, I mean, right. Would sell. And then yeah, it was, it was yeah. So it was yeah. in kind of their, in their, in their, um, display case basically. Right. Okay. And yeah. So, I mean, they had a part to play in, in distributing the music because they were helping me sell it that way, right? It's in their shop. Yeah. 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 That was kind of cool. And I, I did that for a little while and then um, began releasing music commercially through record labels. And that was mostly 12 inch vinyl for a number of years. Yeah. For mo- so, and the target audience there was DJs. Cool. For the most part. And a couple compilations kind of throughout that, you know, songs got licensed to compilations throughout the way. Yeah, but you know the target audience then was actually more commercial DJs at the time. And let's just back up a bit because you yeah. said at this point you'd already been playing raves. Like how did how did you start with that? Oh yeah, that's interesting. So what had been happening is I'd been playing in bands from okay. about eighty eight to about ninety five. Keyboard um, and percussion still. Or? Yeah, keyboards yeah. and the bands I was playing with were um, um, blues, calypso, reggae type music. So like a very soulful music, yeah. yeah. And um, was kind of out playing in those in these bands, like maybe you know, typical typical week, like when we were booked, it'd be like a, a practice night and three nights a week, so lots of time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I transitioned out of that is what I did. So what happened is around '95 or so, I played a gig at Wellington's. I don't know if you've ever heard of that no. club. Club Wellington's was in the basement of a building on Albert Street, just beside the Albert Hotel. Okay. If you can picture the Albert yeah. Hotel and you kind of go a little bit left, there's a there's and a door yeah. that goes underground and there was this great bar called Wellington's. Okay. Like a true underground bar. Yeah. Literally underground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it was just such a fantastic vibe. So uh, a few of us, I can't remember who else was on the bill that night. Um well, anyways, I, I, I played a gig there. That was my first kind of live electronic music gig. It went very well. And, and you're playing all originals at this point? Like, yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then what happened is at that point, I said, well, I really like this, actually. So I'm going to, I had to make a bit of a choice. So yeah. I dropped playing um, in bands in exchange for kind of doing this kind of music. Playing it meant out playing out own. less frequently, of course, um, because there aren't really didn't make sense or there weren't opportunities for me to play music every week right? right but but it something I enjoyed a lot more so what it did is it got me kind of more in the home studio writing a lot more you know experimenting with sound a lot more as opposed to just going out there and playing right 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 and so it was kind of a more internal practice at that point yep you know I, I might have been playing like like four or five gigs a year then but then when I did I felt like really 
invested in them mm-hmm. because they were, you know, they were kind of like small exhibitions of kind of the, the, the volume of work I'd been working on at the time. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's an interesting thing. That's mm-hmm. almost like, you know, in sports, some people will play out like a game every week or several times a week. But then, you know, if you get into martial arts and boxing, something like that, I always think it's so insane. You train for six months to prepare for a show for this long and it all just kind of comes to accumulation at that one point. It does. Yeah. The, uh, it's cool though when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So back then, like I'm imagining you, this is early nineties. You're playing these raves. Like how, what's your sound like then versus what we hear now? It's pretty, pretty, um, upbeat. Stark contrast. Yeah. It lot, lots of rhythm, high energy, a little bit progressive house sounding. If you were to kind of label it yeah. by today's sounds, a little bit of techno, but it's kind of halfway in between there, you know? Right. Yeah. I had some strong influences in the city, um, like a good friend of mine who I produce music with today, like regularly now. Okay. We actually, we've been, I think, producing music together for almost 18 years, maybe, or a little nice. somewhere around that time frame, maybe yeah. 15 years or so. Was a pretty decent influence on me back then, too. He played more house music. Yep. So I was really into the grooves he was playing. And, um, yeah. and then the, a lot of the raves back then featured techno, yep. like the kind of a harder techno sound. Yep. And then the after hours warehouse club scene was kind of like more garage and yeah. kind of more house. And um, and then there was another venue, <laughs> which is Club Happenings, which was a, um, a club on, um, on, on Sherbrooke that do this after hours thing. And uh, again, kind of more almost like European style house and, and not even techno, but it's kind of like the, the kind of more accessible edge of dance music back then yeah so all of these sounds were kind of filtering into me and yep. what i i kind of just ate them up sorry i just ate them up and kind of just turned them back into a sound right so mm-hmm. it probably sounds like progressive house but i, I i'm not sure yeah <laughs> that's what it is it's, it's always like, hard to put a label on your own sound i guess right? yeah it was yeah. a bit of a mashup and i think most artists work that way too we we tend to hear things that we love and we reinterpret them yeah, you know, and we kind of re- put them back together in different bits and pieces, and and especially back then when I was, I mean, still kind of learning some fundamentals of electronic music production. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff I was doing was a bit more imitative as well. Yeah, so I was actually just kind of I'd hear a theme and I'd kind of say I'm go- I'm going to pick up that theme and use that theme. Like I just yeah. like basically kind of recreate it and kind of yeah, which is you know, yeah. I think what always starts almost mm-hmm. right? whether you mm-hmm. want to whether you realize it or not, something always inspires you. I guess. Mm-hmm. Was it fairly minimal or busier? Like the... a little bit busier. Yeah. Uh, very. You could, if you had to put some qualities on it, um, you would say like uh, very sparkly. Mm-hmm. There was believe okay. it or not, like lots of bell sounds and kind of um, kind of glistening type tones. Right. And uh, and then the rhythms were pretty fast, like 130 beats per minute. Yeah. 135 beats per minute. Right. Yeah. Which was kind of par for the course for some of the ravey stuff back yeah. then actually yeah no totally even yeah right now i think that's not that far out yeah this is all before bass music though so like it, i, I kind of have a bit of an idea of what the sound right yeah that what that sound is like but that this is if you can imagine this is all four on the floor yeah <laughs> chugging sounds and then kind of the trademark breakdown you know yep sparkling skies during the breakdown totally. and then the biggest and then the explosion and yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Right? So <laughs> imagine like doing that you know 15 yeah. times in a set over and over again kind of thing yeah. yeah cool yeah so then at what point did you decide no more drums hmm. 
That's a good question. When did that happen? 2014. Okay, so fairly recently. Yeah. So I still produce music with rhythms, but you do. It's very different, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's very. It's a little bit abstract. It's not that I don't use drums anymore, but for yeah. sure there was a you point. A couple of remixes you've had in your SoundCloud yeah, recently. Yeah. Exactly. That type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's a point in time when, when, like 2014, was when I basically said, "Yeah, let's let's give a go at this without rhythm and see what happens." Because, um, how did this start? Now, so it's an album called Awakening in Slow Motion that I was working on, and what I did is I took the audio files. And I slowed them down three times. So you can imagine you've got like this recording of some textured stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like taking the turntable and just going, yeah, right. And I listened to it and I went, like, this is really, really interesting sounding. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like hmm, I wanted, I wanted purposefully do this. Like this, there's something about this sound about taking time and slowing it down, like by a factor of two or three times, yeah, and, and playing in that time scale. And initially, I couldn't write music at that time scale because I didn't think that slowly. Right. So what I w that particular album was written at three times the speed, which is why the songs are all 21 minutes long because, or 20 minutes long or so, because I would write like a six or seven or eight minute piece of music and, just and then pitch it, right it down. down. Yeah. yeah. It was so interesting sounding that like I didn't even think to add drums at that point. I'm like, this, let's just try this without and see how it works. Yeah. And I totally loved it. So that was, um, it was kind of a turning point at that, right? And then from there, I kind of decided, well, no, it's not, not, not that I decided. I am, I started to learn how to think at that speed mm -hmm. as opposed to <laughs> the speed I'd been producing at before, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, that's where I'm at now. I mean, like I, I'm thinking on like a much, much slower time scale than I ever have before. So yeah. the melodies are there, but they're, the phrasings and the melodies are like all stretched out. Yeah. Like I'm probably playing at like you know, um, somewhere around like 40 beats per minute or something like that. I don't, okay. I don't play to a metronome, but that's yeah. kind of, you know, roughly yeah. kind of where I'm sitting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's <laughs> a big difference from 130 for sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the drums, the drums kind of vanished at that point. And, um, and, uh, when I, started to tease them back into my music they just came in at a much slower tempo like okay. a, like a lot of this stuff it, i'm not necessarily releasing it as much these days but the, i'm playing with it um is kind of around like 99 beats per minute yeah. so there isn't really like a there's no rave audience for that well, there's no like club audience for that yeah. this is way too slow yeah yeah but it's fun to listen to oh for sure and and the place where it seems to have made the most senses in uh, in yoga classes. Yeah. So there, you know, there's kind of two types of yoga classes. I've had the fortune of being able to play in. There's like a yin style class, which is slower, kind of longer, um, less less um, athletic kind of you know right. practice. It just it's more it's it's a slightly more elongated practice. Yeah, it's the a practice. Yeah. Yeah, you're sitting in in you're sitting in a in a pose for like three minutes at a time or two and a half minutes or so those tend to be like no rhythm at all they're mm -hmm. just like wide open spaces long stretched out textures but when i'm asked to play for classes that are um that have a bit more energy like a like a flow class yeah. and people's heart rates are going up right um i use rhythm yeah so i pull out a drum machine and play play beats on top of the on top of the ambient textures, yeah. yeah. But again, oh, uh, the rhythm's like around 99 beats per minute then. and So there's still enough space for sound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, I'm 
just kind of reading between the lines here. Uh, you're saying around 2014 you started playing drums. I think that's pretty close to when you first started meditating with Shambhala. Am I correct? Maybe even earlier. Yeah. I can't even remember when I started. But meditation instruction and practice was like hands down probably one of the biggest <laughs> factors in, in yeah. that change, I'm sure. Yeah. Would you, uh, do you see your production as a practice for yourself personally? It certainly is. Yeah. I mean, um, music production is kind of a way that I can get out of my head. Mm -hmm. And it's, it product, it's kind of not really production anymore. Like the way I record now is, um, is fairly non-technical. It's more like I use the computer like a tape recorder. And, that's uh, interesting to me okay yeah so, so i'm not so like i used to spend a lot of time editing sound sound and now i'm spending more time just recording what i'm playing as a performance right and then just kind of picking through that afterwards and finding what finding you the pieces like you that work and then layering them back together so i'll take two or three live recordings and stack them on top of each other and make a song okay out of that but it's a fairly non-technical editing process at that point right it's that's a, funny like looking around the room right now because you totally look like you could send us back in time with all this gear but yeah it's non-technical <laughs> yeah well there's it's a two-step process so there's this is all technology based of course right yeah so there's a lot of prep work that goes into programming sound or configuring an instrument to get a particular sound and that's like a I, that's like an experimentation process so when i do that um, I'll just come in here to play, yeah, and that that's fun. Like I just come here and just make sound, yeah, patch things, try different things. I I read, I listen to podcasts of what other artists do, get ideas. You know, I go out, record stuff, bring it back, and use that as samples for you know. Components. What type of noises do you record? Nature, nature yeah. recordings mainly. So I mean, that's playtime, and so that's the step one. Is like I I'll usually spend a fair bit of time just creating a volume of components that I can use to be able to play with and then the performance side is what I do when I leave the room so what I tend to do is I get at any point in time my, my setup is changing all the time it's based on that play yeah that play that I was talking about and uh, I'm always playing and reconfiguring things and I tend not to do a lot of recording at home anymore like actually for the past really three or four years most of my albums have been recorded when I'm playing live because I, huh. it's interesting, right? So I spend the time here playing and making, like getting the technique and kind of getting the pieces, like, um, you know, reconfiguring um, uh, this, this synth that you see behind me um, and, or programming patches um, in, this, in pure data, right? So I get stuff ready. And then um, I, I don't like to perform at home because it, there's, there's no one here. Yeah, <laughs> it feels kind of it's like it's like talking to yourself, and it just feels really strange. And I've never been able to be good at it. So, mm -hmm. um, when I get out into playing for a class or in public, it's super easy because then there's there's people I can respond to, and I can feel the energy of the room, and I can kind of work with that. And um, I just play like it's always improvisational. Yeah, and um, you know, before you know it, there's like an hour and a half of music there. And then I take that back to the studio and, and I pick and pick through that. And when I say pick through it, I mean like a lot of times I'm I just grab like a 
six or seven minute segment of something that sounded good yep and just polish it by just adding a little bit of you know equalization just a bit of clean it up a bit of yeah just a little bit of um detailing to get the sound shaped a bit but yep. for the most part don't really touch it right it's uh i try to leave it as close as as close as possible to the original performance as i can it's about capturing that moment too kind of yeah it, it is and it's 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 um and it's not that i'm deliberately wanting to capture the moment it's just that it sounds good that way already yeah. so i don't need to do i don't i don't right. feel like i need to do much more to it if it doesn't sound good enough i tend not to want to go edit it and fix it mm-hmm. because what i found is that analytical process of like getting down into analyzing and um, cutting things up starts to break the flow mm-hmm. for this kind of music yeah you know for for percussive stuff it actually it's great because percussion is super detailed by nature right you got like tons of like 50 millisecond sounds and yeah. it, the detail is very important right but when with this kind of stuff the sounds are so long and spread out that that kind of editing doesn't lend itself well to the music it actually kind of kills it okay you know so i tend to kind of leave the pieces really long and then work i'm doing something with my hands here but if you can imagine instead of working um kind of on the time scale i work on kind of layers instead so I'll, I'll leave things intact for long periods of time. Like I'll take long six, seven minute segments, yep. but I'll work on stacking them together instead to get the sound I want. And yeah. like by finding two noises that will harmonize or? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, I like playing in the key of D. Right. So <laughs> D minor specifically. Okay. Like, yeah. Because it's easy to play it on a keyboard. Um, uh, and uh, so a, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mesh. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. D minor, G minor, yeah. F, and I. so the this the this and because of the way the instruments are created here behind me, key changes are really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing you have to kind of do is tune all the oscillators, and get them get them to in tune. Yeah. And like tuning them when you're playing live is actually a real pain in the arse. So it's like it's easier just to kind of stay yeah stay in key. There there's ways to kind of shift all of the oscillators all at once, but it, it changes the sound so much that it's actually not it's really better to keep it it's consistent. better to keep yeah. it consistent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's uh, interesting. Like you mentioned, you like playing out because you can react to the energy in the room. And like I've heard DJs talk about that repeatedly, but I just when they say read the room, I just assume they mean people are dancing, people are not dancing. Uh, for you, hmm. if you're you know playing to uh, a yoga studio or you know. A, a different setting like that like what's that like like what are you reacting to um it's like more vibrational kind of just like feeling the vibe of the room because there's there's definitely very little conscious attention being placed to details like i'm not noticing people or or what the instructor particularly is saying very much either like I, i i can feel more like the energetic flow of the room i mean i'm sure that's visual like in peripheral, yeah, I mean, your absolutely. brain's constantly processing peripheral vision, probably something like the pitch of the instructor's voice, you know, the level of exertion that I feel in the room, all that stuff is processed, but it doesn't take a lot of attention. It just kind of, you just, you develop like an intuitive, Yeah, I got an intuitive feeling for where things are at and try to, you know, I tend to follow that energy. It's really nice playing in a class setting because um, it becomes almost like a, a score, to, to, like you know if you're playing a piece of music you're you're reading a score and you're kind of playing it out well in this mm-hmm. case i it's like a score that i'm following right like the class yeah. has its own flow the instructors kind of set a series based on the class that they're teaching and that that somewhat composes the song energetically 
right? And that, yeah. But, it's really interesting to have that kind of lays work out a together. skeleton for you, and then you yeah. can kind of yeah. For sure. The other place that happens is um, when I take my recorder out and do field recordings out mm-hmm. in nature. Those recordings kind of do the same thing. So I, I'll often just take one of those recordings and drop them as a bed track for like you know like a ten or fifteen minute bed track, and just listen to that and just the sound the sounds of wind coming up and down wind moving through the tops of trees you know through the bottom gusts birds coming and going all those things kind of create a little bit of a flow that that i just kind of work the music into it just kind of it makes it way more fun to play (laughs) yeah because like the performance is somewhat somewhat playful as well as a result right as opposed to like a chord progression that I've rehearsed, for example, or a melody that I've learned. Instead, what's happening is I'm improvising and I'm probably playing some melodies that I've played before, but they're just kind of just when they feel like they should be yeah. part of the sound, right? In some ways, it's a bit like super slow jazz improvisation with the emphasis less on melody and the effort that someone places in into kind of having fun in, with a melody is is shifted to having that same element of composition in tonality so if you kind of listen if you tune into the sound what you'll hear is a little bit less of kind of chord progressions and notes and more monotone type more monotone music but all of that all of that interesting stuff's been pushed into the the timbre of the sound or the shape of the sound so like you can kind of hear the sound shifting and moving and that sort of thing, right? And there's yeah. there's a there's a there's a composition in there instead of being completely locked into the melody, right? Cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So by day here, you work in programming. Yeah, I have a, a job as um, a technology strategist uh, for an insurance company here in Winnipeg. And but that is kind of a progression of my career as a programmer earlier on. So I'm not okay. not writing code professionally okay. anymore. But you were. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. So I comp side degree. Yeah. Okay. By training and then um, did programming and then kind of systems analysis type work and then some architecture, systems architecture work and then, yep. and then more into kind of business strategy and digital strategy, which is what I'm doing now. Okay. Yeah. How did uh, your career and then your pursuits as an artist like feed into each other Mm -hmm. yeah it's a great they're a great combination i mean they're both very technical yeah i can i imagine and um i mean there's different different ways that a person can take a career in programming i i think i took mine in a fairly creative direction especially i mean folks who get into applying kind of a more architectural process which means they're designing systems yep or at various levels of abstraction, but like they're designing systems effectively, um, tend to be working in a more creative space. And that, so I, I think you know, the two kind of are similar that way. But, you know, the other, the other contrast is like, frankly, like one is a job and the other one is play. And right. there's, there's a little bit of that too. As much as I enjoy both of those implicitly, like 100%, I love, I love the work I do Great. during the day and yeah. I love playing music. Still, there's a little bit of a twist where the day job is the day job. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and it has a, con- a little bit of a container around it. And the, the stuff I do with music helps me balance out, you know, some of Because I'll, I'll push myself a lot harder at work than I will 
in music mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. It's my career. It's what I'm paid yeah. to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that that requires some form of counterbalance. I mean, it's, you know, so, so the music is actually very much a, a therapeutic practice. You had asked before about kind of like the, the relationship between the music and like a spiritual practice. And right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. I mean, it's like when I'm performing, that's about as I would call that a meditative practice because I'm very much kind of in the zone yeah. at that point. And when I'm playing and kind of doing sound design, I'm just as equally kind of zoned out at that point too. It's not like there's not a lot of exertion happening to kind of, you know, I'm not like, God, I've got to figure yeah. this out. This is not working kind of thing. You know, it's very, very, very loose touch. Like it's a very light touch, Yeah. you know, compared to work where there's a bit of a, it's a bit of a tighter touch. Like back you have, off and let it happen. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So the end result of that though, is that there are times when music doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It comes and goes. And uh, some weeks I'm somewhat, somewhat manic about it. Like, like I'm like into like, 30 hours of music in the week which is kind of hard to believe when i'm like working Working yeah exactly that's usually when i've like got just like a solid crystal idea on how to finish an album and i'm just working it through you know that sort of thing um then there are times when like nothing nothing's happening for the week like i'm i'm on facebook (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) because my brain needs a break yeah yeah for sure yeah so but but more often than not i'm in the studio doing work these days how often yeah. do you put an album up? Uh, probably, a, well, this last two years has been wildly kind of inspirational. So it's not typical. I'd, let's say maybe a couple albums a year. Okay. Would be average, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we've already said the difficulty of classifying the genre of your own music, but what what would you call your music today if you needed to? Yeah, it's a bit easier now. Like, yeah. I would definitely call this ambient music. Okay. Without a doubt. Like, it falls right into that genre perfectly. Okay. And uh, what's that scene like? Are there a lot of mm-hmm. ambient artists in Canada? or Not not so much. It's a very global scene. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm all very, like, super connected to it, but I'm, like, lightly connected. It's based on my interests, mainly. I mean, the area of ambient music that I seem to be the most attracted to seems to come from Japan, mainly. Okay. There's a two or three artists there that I really I really appreciate that that make the kind of sound I like. But it is definitely a global practice. And it's one of these genres where it's actually, I mean, I'm going to kind of be a bit critical about it, but there isn't a lot of real ambient music, if I want to say it that way, out there. There's okay. a lot of stuff that kind of gets put into the genre. That is not ish but... But it's not really ambient. What okay. it is, is it's, it's probably you could call it chill, right. something like that, right? There's still a fair bit of rhythm going on. It's very... It's very heady. It's kind of asking for your attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know. My my feeling about ambient music is it's supposed to, I, This is my personal feeling about it, I guess. But it, I feel like it should be music that doesn't require your attention to, to enjoy. Like it doesn't need you to invest, you know, yeah. like, like energy to appreciate. It can just be. It can just be. Yeah. It, it's It's closer to like... The analogy I would use is kind of like you're sitting in the forest, you know, you're, you, let's just say you took a hike for like, you've walked for 30 minutes and you're kind of like in a nice little peaceful part of the forest and off a trail and you can't hear traffic anymore. Or maybe you can, but you, you're hearing like the coming and going of things. Like, you know, you hear a plane go by, you might hear like some sound of a bird in the corner, right? You might hear the trees, the wind might gust up. Those ambient noises, like those sounds of just the the space that we're in 
to me is kind of the closest thing I can get to, to kind of defining what I think the ambient music genre would you know could be like it's yeah. kind of like you just kind of like watch it go by you just kind of yeah yeah you don't necessarily have to participate and you just kind of observe it like you're you know listening to these sounds I was talking about you could be downtown Winnipeg you know it could be that you're hearing a fire truck going by you know a siren the other way someone yelling in the corner mm-hmm. that might that might be ambient to you <laughs> yeah right but the point being is it's, again it doesn't require that level of heavy investment it's kind of a more relaxed form of listening and it doesn't have percussion is that a hard fast rule not i don't think so yeah i I think i think that i i I shouldn't say that it shouldn't include percussion because i mean what is percussion Um, yeah so i'm not saying that metaphorically either i'm actually just saying like percussion is could be a piano like piano is a percussion instrument it has a hammer it's Mm -hmm. a string right so no, I wouldn't exclude percussion altogether, but it's kind of the approach, right? It's, it's again, it has to kind of have yeah. that light touch. That's no not, four on the floor. It's not driving you. It's like right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I tend to kind of draw the line there, like the. So some of the folks that are doing really interesting ambient music tend to do it more with. They come from the guitar side of things. Okay. Right, and they've they've kind of, they use loopers and pedals and do drones with their guitar. Yep. And. Um, and what's happening is, you know, with the proliferation of electronics, like they're way more accessible than they were when I was like yeah. 20 years, that time frame I was talking about 20 years ago, like they're becoming universally accessible through computers. Mm-hmm. They're kind of finding that hybrid world between synthesizers and guitar music. And there's some really interesting ambient music that comes out through that style of production. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like it fits the model fairly well too. Okay. Yeah. So... For like someone like me who's completely ignorant, like how would you, you have all this hardware here. Why can't you just fire up Ableton or Fruity Loops and go to town? Like what's, what's the what's difference, difference here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I do. Right. So okay. if you had come here a year and a half ago, I had sold most of my hardware. Oh yeah. And I had just reinvested in this, this MacBook Pro here I have. Right. Yeah. Right. And I had a couple of controllers and basically my thing was. I can do it all in the box. Okay. And I did. Actually, I played live that way for a few months. And so I can. Like, I, I do both. Like, I, I okay. go back and forth. It's, it's this oscillation between, like, in the box, out of the box that I've done over my career for yeah probably two or three times. Now, maybe, like, three times, I'd say, that I kind of went. I started, obviously, with hardware. And then I yep. went in the box. And I went back out again. And I went in and out again. And this last time, when I went back out of the box ended up in modular synthesizers yep which was an interesting space to be in um what's a modular synthesizer yeah so what's the stuff you're looking at here behind me okay um so there i don't know there's a few different ways i describe them well let's talk about the word modular sure so means modules yeah so it's component-based synthesizer so the idea is um an artist can um put together or assemble their own synth custom synth based right. on off the shelf components from other manufacturers. Yep. Some people build their own modules. I'm not technically at that level. I don't okay. have I don't have the the engineering background to to pull that off successfully. Pretty deep stuff. Yeah, well it requires a lot of I guess it's more not engineering as much as electronics, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and and, and electronics engineering, I guess would be the thing, but the the idea is that you put 
a custom synth together by selecting modules from different providers and you, to create your own hybrid synth, basically. And thereby a sound of your own as well? A sound of your own. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you can get a very custom sound, and or you could actually get a very generic sound if you just kind of <laughs> yeah right, follow follow the crowd. But yeah. for those who like to experiment, it's a wonderful place. Um, one of the nice things about it is it's because it's module based, component based. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to change things up on a frequent basis. Like you know, if you were to buy it, like let's compare it to a traditional synthesizer. Like if you were to buy like a mega synth, right? Like yep. something from Dave Smith Instruments, right? They're beautiful synthesizers. They're designed to do a whole bunch of different things. They're somewhat programmable. Like you can create your own sounds, but within limits. Because they've, they've kind of got a physical layout, right? Yep. And what you're doing is you've got a bunch of parameters you can use to kind of, literally hundreds of parameters to tailor the sound. Yep. And you can do some awesome stuff with that. And but where modular takes you is kind of it takes it one step further away from the that that box if you will yeah and gives you a little bit more open space to work with okay and the the permutations kind of are i think where the de- where the where the experimentation comes from you know because yep. you can kind of mix things up in a bunch of different ways um anyways what i was going to say was that one of the benefits of of being in the modular space is it's easy to swap modules in and out of your life Right. right. So if you're if you're working with a massive synthesizer and you just paid four thousand dollars for it and you're about to go invest in another synth and you pay like two thousand dollars, you're working in really big chunks mm-hmm. and your unit of kind of <laughs> functionality kind of grows in big stair steps. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. and whereas with modular, um, it's easy to make a two or three hundred dollar investment and add something very interesting to your to your instrument. Taking baby steps. Absolutely. And and even more fun is, you know, like I said, modules come in and out of your life. Like you try something and if, you know, I've done this already, I've been into this for about a year and a half now, which is not that long, but already like stuff has come in and out. I mean, I've bought a module, tried it, didn't quite, didn't quite kind fit. of fit in the way I wanted it to, you know, and then so I sold it and kind of went into something else. And it's this wonderful kind of, it's a wonderful space where you're kind of just constantly crafting your instrument. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's what makes it interesting. Now, all of that stuff can be done in the box too, like on a computer. There, there are virtual simulations of of exactly what this does. Yep. But um, I don't know. I think it could be it could be just a personality thing. Um, but uh, I I like to have something, something physical in physical, my hands yeah. to work with, and it might have something to do with that play space I was talking about earlier, where I find it a little bit harder to play on the screen than I do with cables and, and dials. Yeah. Yeah. Even times like when I was playing live, um, with mainly my computer, um, the way I was able to do it successfully was to have a, a few controllers with lots of knobs on them that I could yeah. assign. Cause I needed that tactile kind of interaction with this, yeah. with the instrument to be able to, to zone out effectively. Right? Especially if it's the way you learn too, I think it right? is. You go yeah. back to that. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so there's a little bit of that going on, but yeah, to answer your question, I think, you know, there, it's possible to actually get at that sound in both spaces. And in fact, um, I tend to still go back and forth a little bit between the two because there's something nice about working in the computer, which is that it's, it's, um, 
it's uh, how do you kind of how to say this? It's it's repeatable. So right. you you can save the state of what you're doing on a computer and come back to it later. Right. Which sometimes is helpful, right? Totally. Yeah, depending what stage of a project you're at or what you're doing. Whereas with like a, you know, a synthesizer like this with a bunch of wires hanging everywhere. I mean, the minute I decide to go play, I'm patching stuff and I've just lost that last project I was working on. Yeah. Which again, that it's great. It's great for it's great for kind of evolving sound and kind of experimenting, but not great if you're trying to actually finish a project <laughs> yeah so there's kind of a little bit of place for both right yeah definitely yeah uh i'm a little afraid to ask this next question okay can you in any way explain to me what's going on inside that box or is that just gonna be way over my head no it's not it's uh it can be explained so uh there's a couple ways to describe this so there's two things going. There's kind of two two types of. First of all, let's let's talk about how sound is produced. So please. Yeah, so there's different ways to synthesize sound. So the word synthesizer means what it means. So it's like it's the idea of synthesizing a new sound. So there's different ways this is done. Um, there's a. I could like you know, give you two or three like you know, subtractive synthesis, additive synthesis, um, would be a couple that we could talk about, but. What I'm set up here, we're going to talk about subtractive synthesis. Just okay. let's talk about that. Just, but let's just say that there are different ways that you can use electronics to make a sound. Okay. And fundamentally, um, they're just they're kind of like a workflow, if you want to think of it that way. So subtractive synthesis, in general, which is what a lot of what I do here, involves starting with a complete sound. Mm -hmm. So you usually something called an oscillator, um, and what that does is it just creates a pure tone. Right. And then what you do is you run it through a bunch of processors to shape the sound. Okay. So imagine imagine you as an instrument, as a human body, okay. having like this sound generator in the middle of your chest that just makes this raw buzzing sound. Right. Right. And then what you're going to do is run it through your body cavity and through your mouth and your throat and kind of shape the sound with your lips, with your tongue and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. That process of shaping is mainly what we're doing inside with this right yeah. so that's one plane of behavior so it's a, and there's different ways to do that we use things called filters which mm -hmm. cut frequencies out of the sound so they take a really rich harmonically rich sound and kind of remove frequencies there is um is that why it's called subtractive yeah because you're taking stuff out okay exactly and then additive would be the other way around is where you've got a lot of simple sounds and you're adding them together to get a sound okay right? so you, yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so there's you know filters another thing we could we use is envelopes to shape a sound so you change the volume of a sound. There's a lot of really interesting things you can do with combining sounds like you can mathematically add them together which is a mixer. Mm -hmm. You can multiply them together which creates kind of a funky waveform. You can use one waveform to modulate another which means you can take take it and use it to shape. Yeah. The original waveform. It's easier to draw on paper if I were to show yeah. you. But the point being is that there's a process where you kind of basically taking some original sound and subtracting them stuff from it to get a raw sound out at the end. Okay. Um, there's another couple plain, like if you think of them as like things that the instrument does, like that's one kind of plane of, <laughs> yeah. of, of, uh, of operation is just the sound, right? Another would be like the control plane. So all that stuff's happening, but it's interesting if it can be programmed to change what it's doing over time. So for example, um, 
a filter might take uh well let's just say like it's like like a wah wah sound like wah 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 mm-hmm. right like the idea that that oscillation that up and down wah yep. wah wah is a waveform that i can program right mm-hmm. so that's a kind of the control plane so there's there's a way again that's another way that the synth operates you can kind of get some components that will modulate there's the word we use to yep. to the behavior of another component so that you can kind of get hands-off operation otherwise i'd have to be sitting there with a dial moving it back and yeah, forth right can you imagine over, yeah. I'd, I'd have to have like a hundred hands yeah <laughs> right so so that's kind of like the the control plane if you will and then there's another layer on top of that if you want to think of it this way which is actually like the melody in sequence yeah so there's the stuff that often goes on i i do a little bit less of that but some people really play in that space a lot which is sequencing sequences of notes or rhythms yeah and uh so you can imagine there's like a control plane for that as well where you, yeah where you just say, you know, play me an A minor kind of thing, effectively, or now play a G, or now play, you know, yep. yeah, a C, right, that sort of thing. And, and the, the sequencer basically just plays a, a series of notes. And then, like, there's step sequencers that will let you program, like, a, a predefined step of notes. And then there's much more interesting things that people do in modular world where they use mathematical formulas um, and quantize them. Mm-hmm. right so then you get kind of generative sound as opposed to a melody that was prescribed you get kind of like these complex formulas that get narrowed into a scale yeah and then into a, and into a pitch that you can play so that's that's what's going on behind me like the, those are kind of like the three things that are going on at synth back there yeah um the space i play in the most though is in the sound space so that first plane kind of where you're talking about shaping sound yeah because a lot of times i'll just pin an oscillator on a pitch and leave it there for like 20 minutes you know but i'll have three or four oscillators so they're at different pitches and then i what i do is i get melody out of crossfading between those those oscillators exactly yeah yeah. and then i always have a little keyboard on the side that actually just plays traditional stuff that i can actually just play if you ever want to yeah yeah i break out into melody once in a while yeah (laughs) the option right do a yeah. little solo yeah that's basically it. yeah 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 i'll hang i'll hang in that floating space for a bit and then i'll kind of decorate it with a bit of a melody for a little while and yeah. then i'll kind of drop out of that and hang in the floating space again and just decorate it with a bit more melody still taking it back to those classic breakdowns from the 90s exactly yeah, yeah it's totally the same thing <laughs> yeah. yeah cool a little less tension and release than back then though like yeah the 90s was like pounding drum fills and yeah <laughs> Do you ever miss that side of it, or do you do you see yourself going more into that, like some more danceable music, or do you really enjoy what you're doing now enough? Hmm. It's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know. Fair. Yeah, I mean, I ended up here in this in this form of music without kind of wanting, like I didn't. It wasn't like I decided to kind of get here. You it know almost what I mean? found you, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the same could happen again. Um, yeah. I try to keep pretty open to to the ebb and flow of what drives me. Um, so are there, uh, you know, festivals for ambient music or any, any sort of community like that? Increasingly more and more festivals are creating space for ambient music. Okay. So that, that, that's An a thing. stage yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't participated that way too much. I've been playing at more wellness and yoga festivals mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. Which is a fantastic place to play. The, you yeah. did one this summer here, right? Yeah. What was it called? The IM Festival. Yeah, how was that? Wonderful. 
can you tell me a bit about it sure yeah so i um the i am festival is a wellness festival um it brings together a whole bunch of different practices some spiritual practices some yoga some meditation um i would say uh even some analytical type teachings as well under kind of one one umbrella for like a two two and a half day camping festival so people go out and they kind of hang out there for two and a half days and take all the stuff in part of it is music a big part of it is music yeah um so that's the setting uh and uh i was i did a performance with uh a friend of mine serena postel who's a crystal bowl player and she brought these nepalese singing bowls and her crystal bowls and we created like a basically one and a half hour we called it a forest sound bath yeah um people showed up actually the cool part is we played in a geodesic dome okay which is pretty cool because the sound really swims yeah in that thing right um they basically um participants showed up and just kind of lay down on their mats and hung Took out hung out in the sound and we did um what we did is we we played through um roughly like six kind of series if you will where we kind of took work through different pitches effectively to yep. kind of tap into different energy levels um the backdrop for a lot of it was a series of um uh recordings that i'd taken through uh, that that i'd done in grand beach kind of area around some of the trails there and some trails in the white shell kind of early morning yeah. kind of recordings before there's too much yeah too much human kind of human noise yeah, yeah exactly so a lot of it is um you know the sound of either fir trees or aspen trees or or um just kind of the kind of crackling of the grasses it's quiet enough that you know that stuff is is recording well yeah. you know there's enough signal to noise ratio that that stuff is picking up well in the recording and so we use that as the backdrop as well so we, we made a basically a forest sound bath but the performance was outdoors in this geodesic dome which itself also was surrounded by trees right? yeah so there's there's the sound of the outdoors yeah. just naturally perfect soundtrack and, um, yeah something cool happened when we played is that partway through like about two-thirds way through our set um there was one of the distant stages was doing an empowerment kind of workshop and had some high energy stuff going on okay and it was like like a tribal beat and some chanting and it was far yeah right but in the distance and it it melted into the sound we were playing and it turned into this really 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 interesting cool. uh, kind of like a it was a bit of a trip like it was like this kind of tribal techno sound almost like in, it wasn't in it techno's probably cheapens it it was it was like a very very earthy sound yeah but if you can imagine we had kind of this long elongated kind of um uh kind of swimming kind of sound going on and then like far in the background there's this little beat going almost driving it and then people every once in a while yelling going yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's like some (laughs) chanting and stuff and it was just super awesome yeah so i have a a recording of it actually so it's uh, it's pretty neat (laughs) very cool yeah yeah it was a neat contrast and um it's it's that kind of stuff that's really neat i mean i've been playing over the summer in the parks here in the city too and the same thing happens like stuff is happening in the city and the noises just melt with the music and again it's that ambient concept right where it's not super prescriptive there's a lot of serendipity that happens serendipity that happens in that yeah and i guess that 
the drumless aspect kind of lends it to that, right? Doesn't the fall on beat? It can just swim in and mm -hmm. participate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the rhythms are are fun. I'm beginning to experiment with a different approach to producing rhythm for for these ambient sets um, that revolves around taking little bits of sound as opposed to drum sounds. So more like, so if you can imagine I'm playing one of my keyboards and I kind of play like 30 seconds of, of texture mm -hmm. kind of, so it's kind of swim, it's kind of swimming chords. And what I do is I grab that and then reconcatenate it basically kind of live into little hits and use that as percussive sounds. And it's, it's sounding pretty cool. Yeah. Like, it's neat. It's a, it kind of sounds more like raindrops if you had to kind of pick an like a nature analogy for the kind of sound it's not like the hard hit of a snare drum or like a, a tom yeah. or a kick drum it's it's like the pitter patter of raindrops falling you know onto yeah. water it's still percussive but it's not a punch in your face percussive and it's got it's got a pitch to it too which is kind of interesting right right it's, yeah that's a tone yeah so that's kind of my latest thing and i'm it's 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 sounding interesting enough like i'm it's it's taking me a while to kind of find the sweet spot still like you know it's there's yep. a bit of technique that i'm trying to trying to trying to work on but i think that's kind of where i'm going next with with some of my performances just not for the entire time but just like to kind of get a bit of a percussive feel to it and it's interesting what happens when i do that like i feel like you know you're 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 20 or 30 minutes into like basically deep space exploration right yeah <laughs> and all of a sudden this little percussive thing shows up and it starts dancing and it it's quite it's quite astonishing how uplifting it is when it or when it shows up in the music it, like it doesn't it doesn't need a lot of rhythm to kind of get the body wanting to move if you know yeah. what i mean like i can kind of feel like myself grooving to it and kind of swaying yeah. a little bit and it, it really kind of kind of lifts 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 the spirits up a little bit if you know what i mean yeah the closest thing i can think of to it would be like the kind of the kind of happiness groove you get from really good African music. You know what I mean? Like high life yeah. type of stuff. You know how, how you feel when you listen to good high life music? Totally. Like it's like sunshine. It's kind of has that little feeling because like you've been in the clouds for like 30 minutes and all of a sudden this little thing shows up and it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you right up. Yeah, it does. It's really neat. So, so that's what I'm working on next. It, it will probably end up being... Um, something i try to try to get into a recording for an album too in the next little you know next few months yeah yeah i i think i've seen online on one of your profiles tell me if i'm completely wrong i think you said like sound healer is that a word you used for what you do yeah yeah and do, do you so do you feel can you talk about that a bit like yeah yeah i mean i'd like to uh, the, the basic idea is um uh this attunement with nature mm -hmm. so i i kind of one of the things I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm doing when I slow rhythms down and slow cycles down to the speed I'm slowing them down to, and especially with the infusion of nature recordings, as I'm, I'm getting myself and, and the listeners to tune into just like the basic space of nature. Mm -hmm. And the general idea there is um, by reconnecting or connecting, I should say, with that space we can be healed. Um, a lot, a lot of personally, I feel a lot of what I would call disorders aside from like the really scary explicit stuff, but of like course, a lot yeah. of the, a lot of the disturbances in my psyche or disorders, if you want to call them that 
tend to stem from lack of alignment and attunement with like just basic nature, you know, basic space. Mm -hmm. And um, so the idea of using music as a way of kind of reconnecting with that space and, and feeling comfortable enough with it for for some people you know they they have no problems going out into the forest and just connecting with the space directly um and i, I do that myself and that's not not a problem like they can do it on the spot but i think for many many people living here in the city um accustomed to like a lot of stimulus right yeah <laughs> that's a big step like to, you know, to get out of, you know, to get, to go, go from, from like downtown Toronto, right. Yeah. <laughs> to, to like the silence of Presence, the forest. Yeah. Right. And like really kind of having the chatter kind of start to turn, turn off. So I feel like the music is kind of like a little, a little, a little kind of leading kind of, um, attraction, if you will, towards that basic space. It's kind of to help people kind of connect with yeah. it, but using some themes that, so there's still something that the mind can kind of pick up on a little bit, sorry, mind can pick up on a little bit to connect with. But you'll notice like in some of the songs, what I'll do is I'll kind of start bigger and it just kind of like disappear into noise basically. And it's kind of intentional. It's like what, what I'm trying to do there is, you know, yeah. allow someone to kind of Grab identify, yeah, identify out. the space and kind of zone out a little bit and mm -hmm. kind of just do that long enough that, you know, that the mind is kind of relaxed and chilled a bit and it's like kind of dropped to nothing. Um, one of one of my songs, it's like literally just a cloud of white noise, and it's meant it's meant to feel like what I think the universe sounds like if you could hear it, <laughs> which yeah. is just like a roar of noise, like like everything happening at once. Yeah, but you're not analyzing it, you know. It's still happening, but you're not your mind's not busy trying to figure out what it is. It's just all just just happening in front of you. So I, I'm that's the kind of healing part is to try to get get a, a listener comfortable with being in that space yeah like, that makes know. a lot of sense mm -hmm. almost to yank the helpful unplug yeah totally yeah yeah i mean in, in this it's and it's not very deliberate I'll, I'll be honest like it's this is actually stuff i do that works that helps me like so i'm doing this because it feels natural to me to want to kind of work through that journey of going yeah. through sound into silence right um it gets recorded and then you know seems like other people seem to connect with that too which is oh, great. absolutely yeah i yeah your music's actually become a pretty consistent soundtrack from my own meditation over the last year mm -hmm. and i for years insisted on silence because i read that's how the masters do it i'm stubborn but mm -hmm. i think when you're dealing with a lot of discursive thought and stuff a lot of the things you're saying right now like uh you know it, it does give you something to center in on but as you said like without that driving rhythm and everything it doesn't demand your attention mm -hmm. so it uh it helps you get there but then it lets you just be mm -hmm. so i found it very helpful personally yeah. yeah yeah is that uh do you see that as being a big part of your audience people like connecting with their own practice and i i think so i i don't get too much feedback on it but the it seems to be increasingly like so th this particular style of music uh like I said, around 2014 is when I started mm -hmm. working through this. Um, most of the feedback I get is the kind of feedback you just shared with me, which is people enjoying this music as a form of um, of uh, either relaxation, just to be simple about it, yep. or others talk about it as a form of helping them with meditation as well. Yeah. 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 It seems to be, I, I haven't really 
I haven't really heard much. I've, other than, well, actually, there's a couple interesting stories. Like it's the music's been used to help um, when one woman um, had it playing when she was delivering her baby. Oh, wow. Which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah, very cool. I mean, some people find it useful there. Um, um, you know, I had some feedback that it's quite quite helpful to, to people when they're working. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the kind of music you can put on and you don't have to listen to any lyrics. Yeah. There's like pretty much no meaning to analyze, right? It's, yeah. And it can kind of fall into the background. It, it probably covers up the white noise of the office well and you know yeah. they can kind of zone out at their desk and do their thing which is kind of nice so there's a little bit of that too um yeah but for sure yeah cool so going forward do you have any big plans for what's next or are you just kind of riding the wave very much riding a wave right now yeah 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 for sure um there's some cool stuff happening though i mean this this exploration into modular synthesizers, like I said, started about a year and a half ago, is by far the most interesting turn I've taken in synthesis so far. Yeah. Like I did, I had kind of a similar twist when I started programming sound in a tool called Reactor on the computer. Yep. But even when I did it there, everything kind of sounded a little bit like the Reactor tool. Like it just kind of, I don't know why, maybe it's just my lack of technique, but everything kind of still sounded very derivative of the core sound of the tool somehow. Um, I probably would have to have spent a lot more time, but I'm doing even more programming. So I still do a little bit of that, but this modular synthesis stuff is great because you, it's, I'm, there's some really creative people out there. Yeah. It seems like it could be quite a really, really neat stuff with sound. And, um, what's most awesome is that they're producing modules that, um, with a, maybe a particular intent in mind, but I can guarantee that they're getting used in all kinds of different ways that they'd never imagined. <laughs> yeah. So this, in terms of the future, I, I kind of feel like it's there's the sound exploration has kind of just begun in this format. Yeah. And I'm, I, I can see like a I can see like a, an even deeper dive here. Um, I'm beginning to program um, uh, patches for the modular synthesizer as well. So like through a language called Pure Data which is a bit of a rabbit hole similar to the reactor thing I talked about, but that's probably another thing. Like it's, it's going to, it's allowing me to get like an even finer grained level of expression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the nice part is I can use those in the context of the synthesizer. So I don't have to make the whole instrument. I just have to make the part that I want, which right. is super helpful. Like, whereas, you know, in the past I would have to be basically like completely overwhelmed by the idea that I had to basically create like, yeah. all of the infrastructure I needed to make the sound I wanted. Now, like this, I can just kind of program just like the little the piece I want touch on what into yeah. like one of the modules that I'm using here, which makes a big difference. Um, because there's some pretty high tech stuff in these modules that I, I wouldn't know where to begin, you know, um, from a programming perspective, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's what you're, that's what you're buying when you buy this tech. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that that's happening is I'm working on a really neat album with a friend of mine, uh, uh, JP, who lives in Montreal, and uh, so I gave him like a, a very long play ambient album, basically, that I'd worked on, and he's working on um, a bunch of abstract electronic rhythms to pair up with it. So it's it's probably the first time that these particular ambient sounds that I've been working on get mashed up like in 
true form with some electronic drums and yeah. it's more than electronic drums he's he's doing some really cool stuff with with um analog drum recordings like like really nice hi-hat patterns nice cymbal patterns you know that kind of thing it's almost on the tip of jazz i would say okay so these two sounds are coming together and um they're it's sounding really neat it's a it's a very interesting sound it's um it's got rhythm but it's not it's not like anything else I've heard. It's kind of got a, a almost like an abstract jazz feel to it. So I'm excited for you to I'm, hear I'm, it. I, I'm yeah, excited it, to hear it too. Yeah, I'm That's... really like it, it's going to be. It's, so I'm, when looking ahead to the future, I, I I think this particular sound that we're working on actually has has a little bit of an interesting thing to it. It's a nice twist. It's definitely yeah. a highlight of of kind of creative output for me in terms of you know you know yeah. I tend to like. I tend to look back at my work and say, you know, analyze it a little bit and kind sure. of see how I feel about it. And this particular project um, really kind of hits a, a new mark, I'd say. So I'm really, really keen to see what it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. When, uh, when are you expecting for it to be ready? Hmm. I think we're kind of in like the last month or so of work on it. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. by the time this gets to air, then it'll probably be, yeah, probably out. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay, I think we're pretty good here. Do you want to just let people know where they can find your music, though? Absolutely. Um, so, easiest way to find my music is through my website. Okay. Nomorewords.ca. Um, and then there's links to a bunch of stuff there. Um, if you go into SoundCloud, you'll find clips of my albums. And then what I tend to do is when I'm working through sound experiments here in, in the studio, I yeah. just post stuff and it, they'll stay up there for like a week or two and then I'll yank them down. But... I just kind of, when when something cool happens, I usually just share it with people, share it with people and kind of say, hey, you know, check yeah. this out. <laughs> this is kind of neat. Um, uh, so that's SoundCloud. Um, and then most of the streaming services like um, iTunes and Spotify have my albums and there's links to those there as well. Okay. And then highly recommend if, if you're willing to support the music, um, purchasing my music through Bandcamp is is awesome because Always best for the, the revenue comes right to me. Yep. Um, and there's a link to that on my webpage as well. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks so much for taking the time to meet with me today. Right on. Thanks. Cheers, man. After recording this episode in a fit of nostalgia, Jason released his 97 rave record in its entirety on Bandcamp. Over two decades later, it still makes you want to beeline to your nearest dance floor. There isn't a song on the album that I don't like. I can't urge you enough to hit Bandcamp and check it out. But before you go anywhere, I have to share my favorite track from the album with you. From his 97 record Ambrosia, released under the alias Subculture, this is Water Angel.